we are going to continue our, continue our series uh, talking about uh, the I Am's of Jesus. Uh, and if you want to go ahead and open your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 10 uh, for the remainder of the morning. We're going to jump around to some others, but for the most part, John chapter 10 is where we're going to be at. Um, mixed metaphors. I, I love metaphors and the idea of, of the imagery that we get in them. But then a mixed metaphor is something that you throw two things together and it just doesn't make much sense. Um, and I love those as well. Uh, so a few of my favorites are running around like a chicken chasing its tail. Um, stick your neck out on a limb. Um, we'll burn that bridge when we come to it. Been there, done that. Um, that's about, this is my favorite, that's about as funny as a screen door on a submarine. Um, you guys are actually more awake than the first service this morning, that's a change. Um, so when we start mixing things up and we start doing that, um, it's a lot of fun, but to an English teacher it drives them insane, but when we truly start breaking all of that down, um, why I like it is it helps to, things to stick inside of my brain. Um, and if you... How many of you have ever been reading a scripture? You're reading through your Bible, and the moment you start reading it, you're like, I have no clue what I just read. Anybody? Yeah. We all read the Bible, and we're like, what? I don't understand. Well, here's the thing. Jesus actually points that out to us, or John points that out to us this morning. Um, so if you've ever been reading through that, and you're like, I have no clue what he just said or what's going on. I want you to read with me John chapter 10, verse 6, real quick. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So, if you've ever been there, here's one of those moments that Jesus is going to have to give more explanation. And I think one of the reasons is because we're talking about, Jesus says in this scripture, I am the door. Um, or I am the gate, depending on which translation um, you're using. And, and the reason that this is difficult is because the word door or gate is used four different times in four different ways. And so we try to read it and try to understand it, and we go, what's he trying to say here? And that's why verse 6 is so important. Let's read the whole thing. Uh, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the, the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and, <clears throat> excuse me, and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
Now, when I read this scripture, um, I've shared with you in the past that I grew up on a farm uh, in Ohio, and we raised sheep. And uh, for the most part, sheep are dumb, okay? They really are. They're, they're, they're dumb. And I think that's why Jesus used us um, as sheep as a metaphor, because sometimes we run into walls. Sometimes we um, don't really do what we're supposed to do. So he's like, perfect example. Um, but sheep are also pretty smart as well. And so growing up on the farm, um, we would go, uh, and we would go, the moment that the sheep would hear, they would be sometimes in the other pasture, and the gate would be open, and they would hear us coming, they would hear our voice, and they would come running, because they knew it was time to eat. And they knew as we opened up the gate, and we went inside of the gate, as we entered in, they would just surround us, because they knew us, and they knew who we were. But there were times that... I would have to, we would be gone uh, for some reason, and um, I would have to have a friend uh, feed the sheep for us, um, and they would try to go in, and they were like, I don't know where the sheep are. Um, I, I, they, I went ahead and put their, you know, they didn't have, we didn't have cell phones back then, so it wasn't like they could just call us, unless you had one of the big bag phones that you had carried with you and kept in the car. Um, but they would just say, hey, Travis, I have no clue where the sheep are. I guess they're out there in the pasture somewhere, but we went ahead and threw uh, the food in there and the hay. We made sure they had water, but they didn't come. Or if they were there, they would scatter the moment that that person would enter into the gate because they were scared. Because their shepherd, the person that they knew, that they trusted, wasn't the one that was entering in. So this really becomes personal for me when I read through this. You know, doors are some of the most common things in the world, aren't they? I mean, we, we have, everyone uses a door for whatever reason. Now, we have different modes of doors, different things that we use as doors. Sometimes, you know, in, in certain parts of the country, it's just a cloth that we put in front of the door. When it comes to uh, sheep and, and outdoors, it's more of a gate structure than anything. Um, but doors are extremely common. And I love what Jesus does here because Jesus takes the common things and he teaches us this profound truth of his worth and his work. I go back three weeks ago when we started this series and we started, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And when he says that, bread was something that was easily accessible um, to all people, rich or poor. Bread was something that everyone had access to for the most part. And then the last two weeks, we've looked at John chapter 8, uh, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And, and, and again, light is something that's very common. We have it in this room right now. Light lights up this room. And when he says, I am the light, it's something that we're very common. And now he's going to say, I'm the door, I'm the gate. And it's something extremely common for us to be able to understand. So let's make a few observations about this particular I am statement of Jesus what I love about it is this I am phrase is both powerful and personal you see when Jesus uh, declares himself to be the door I believe passages like uh, Psalm 78 verse 23 would have went through their minds yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven they would have also thought about Genesis chapter 28, verse 17, when Jacob had a dream of a stairway to heaven. How awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate 
of heaven. You see, it was powerful when he said this. It was personal when he said this. And again, Jesus is contrasting himself against those phony Pharisees. Now, as we've been looking through this series, we've started in John chapter 6. Jesus in John chapter 6 is around the Sea of Galilee when he feeds uh, the 5,000. He says that I'm the bread of life uh, as he moves forward. In John chapter 7, 8, and 9, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He has attended um, the feast. He has healed the blind man um, that we talked about. Um, and, and then we come to this one, and here's the thing. We see this unfortunate chapter break. Now, chapters are great because it helps us when we go to open our Bible. We can go, oh, okay, John chapter 10, there it is. It's very simple for us. The problem is, is we go from chapter 9 to chapter 10, and we think, oh, something different is happening. Well, this is just a continuation of chapter 9 as we break through it. So when, when the Pharisees, um, they, they cast out um, the blind man when, once he's been healed, they, they aren't able to retort him any longer. They just cast him out. They excommunicate him. And Jesus goes and he finds them. Uh, he finds the blind man and he reveals himself of who he is. And then we come to John chapter 10 verse 1 and he's still talking about these Pharisees, these teachers of the law. And he says, they are thieves and robbers. You see, he was contrasting himself against those phony Pharisees. The setting is also just a normal day for sheep and a shepherd. That's very important for us to be able to... This wasn't something new. Jesus wasn't expounding on something. Um, you see, shepherding, it wasn't that great of a job. But it was a very, very important job in the first century, right there in Jerusalem and also the town just outside in Bethlehem, because that was where all of the sacrificial lambs would have come from. It wasn't a great role in society, but it was an important role in society. The metaphor itself was employed time and time again in Scripture. If you go back to Psalm 100, verse 3, we read this, know that the Lord he is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So let's think about doors for just a second and what doors or gates do. Tell me what, in your mind, what does a door do? What does a gate do? Throw them out. What's that? It opens, yes. What? Yeah, it lets you in. Keeps people out, gives security. I heard somebody over here say something. Keeps you safe, yeah. All of those things are, are very, very important. And, and the other thing that I see in all of this, a door is also a figure of speech that we use today, right? We say, well, I hope God will open a door for you. Well, um, if, God op or if God closes a door for you, he's going to open another one. And we always say, hey, open a window just slightly on your way out. So with all of this as our background of, of doors and gates and all of that, let's unpack verses 9 through 10. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
So let's break this down. I think there's three important keys as we talk about these doors. We're going to talk about salvation, safety, and satisfaction. So let's start with the door of salvation. The door of salvation. If you look at the verse part of verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Now the first thing that we discover about the door is that the door is a person. And the way in is extremely personal. Jesus also declares that there's only one entrance. Now back in 2012, uh, Teresa and I had the opportunity to spend a couple of weeks over in uh, Israel. And while we were there, um, we were going to all the different areas. And, and finally, we ended up there um, at, at the Shepherd's Church. And when we went to the Shepherd's Church... Um, what was really awesome about going um, to this church was uh, not the, the church itself was absolutely beautiful and the acoustics were absolutely beautiful. And there were some amazing things that happened while we were inside of this church. We started singing um, a Christmas song in the middle of the summer, which was really cool. But more people walked in behind us. And as we're singing this song, all of a sudden it was the same tune but it was a language that I didn't know. But what was cool was that it all just went together. And there, were, there was this coming together, which was really awesome. But then we went outside of the church. And we went around to the underneath, the, the, the backside of the church. There was a cave. And the reason that the Shepherd's Church is built where it is is because of this um, this cave, particular cave that was there. Now, Teresa and I, um, there, there were all kinds of, of caves that were around, and we explored quite a bit and uh, got lost with inside the caves, and it was pretty cool. Um, we found our way back out, and everybody was waiting for us. Um, but while we were there, we, we saw this, and there was this entrance to the cave. And they said what they would do is, uh, at night, the shepherds would take all of the sheep, and they would come together and they would put the sheep inside of the mouth of this cave. And then they would sleep across the front of the entrance of that cave. And the sheep would lay down inside. Why? Because they were protected. And they knew as long as they were inside that the, the shepherd would take care of them. And there was only one way in and out of that particular cave. And it was to get by and through the shepherd. And so the sheep knew that they could stay inside and they were completely protected. And they also knew that they didn't have to worry about out, outside interference. They didn't have to worry about any predator coming through and getting to them because the shepherd was there to protect them. That's what I absolutely love about this section. I think the reason that Jesus can use the mixed metaphor so easily, you see, he's the sheep, or he's the shepherd who goes through the door, but he is also the door. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep because his body is the very door that provides the entrance to salvation. So let's break that down a little bit further as we continue to break down the first part of verse 9. This is really cool. It's a single entrance. There's only one entry point. 
Just as Noah was told when he built the ark to put one door. There was only one way. There was only one entrance for that of to salvation from destruction. The same exact thing is true today as well when it comes to our salvation. There's only one way. Now in our politically correct world, um, this is going to kind of go against the grain, but I want to make it extremely clear that all roads don't lead to heaven. Sincerity isn't going to get you in. Good works won't get you in. Jesus is the only way. Now we're going to talk about that a little bit later in one of the other I am statements that Jesus makes. But I want us to jump forward to to Acts chapter 4 verse 12. And this makes it abundantly clear. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Single entrance. But while there's only a single entrance, this is the great part. Anyone can enter. Anyone can enter. Salvation is available for all. What does Jesus say? If anyone enters by me. It's not limited. It doesn't matter what you have done in the past. It doesn't matter how you've been doing in the past. What matters is that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. The door is open. But Travis, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my story. You don't know the thoughts that run through my head. You you don't know the way that I treat my spouse. What you don't know about me is that I'm addicted to pornography. What you don't know about me is that I'm a drunk. I'm a drug addict. Travis, if you only knew my story, there's no way that this Jesus that you're talking about would ever let me in. You know, I, I, I don't know what you've done, but guess what? Jesus does. And this is what he says. If anyone enters by me, it is not limited. The door is open for you. If you will choose to go through his way. You see Jesus provides hope. Jesus provides hope for the hurting. Jesus provides hope for the hopeless. Jesus is the door of deliverance. And yet people continue to look for other ways to get there. There's only one way. And it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. As your savior. And here's the thing, you know, a lot of people, they think, oh, well, um, it, it's, it's not limited, so anyone can get in, and, and then once I'm in, woohoo, I get to party now. You get to, yes, and it's a lot of fun, yes, but discipleship is demanding. There's a lot of churches that say, hey, um, if, you, if you just accept Jesus as your Savior, and you send me a check for whatever, uh, God's going to provide salvation, and He's going to provide healing, and He's going to pay all your bills, and everything's going to be awesome. He is as long as you work. He is as long as you go to the doctor. 
He, he's going to take care of you. But all of a sudden, we, we have these, these preachers that are talking about this, this prosperity gospel, and it has nothing to do with what Scripture actually says. Being a disciple, being a follower of Jesus is demanding. Mark chapter 8, verse 34 says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Do you know where Jesus said this? He said this somewhere where there were probably people hanging on crosses. Which happened in the first century all throughout Israel. Wherever they went, they would see this. And the Romans did it to get the Jewish people's attention. To make sure that they would stay in line. And Jesus says, hey, you really want to be my disciple? Just grab your cross. Grab your cross and, and follow me. And when he says this, you know, today in our language, we go, that's right. I'm going to take up my cross and put it around my neck. I'm going to take my cross and I'm going to put it in my ears. I'm going to take my cross and I'm going to put it on my shirt. Those are all well and good and those are great symbols and they tell you of, of your faith, whatever it is. But are you willing to deny yourself and to follow Christ and Christ alone. And here's the thing. A response, it's necessary. While the door is open 24-7, and an individual must enter in order to be saved. One must believe and receive. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. Paul says, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. It doesn't work by osmosis. It's not, well, I'm sitting in the same chair um, as someone did last week that's a Christian, so that makes me a Christian. Well, I'm sitting in the same row as other Christians, so that makes me a Christian. Well, um, I'm here with my mom and dad, and they're Christians, so that makes me a Christian. I'm here with my sister, so that makes me a Christian. I'm here. No, it, it doesn't work that way. You, you, each one, I had to make a decision. You must enter. Before leaving this point, notice that Jesus doesn't say that you might be saved or that you'll maybe get in what does he say he says if anyone enters by me he will be saved if you enter through jesus you don't have to worry about your salvation did i lose it if if you are following jesus you can be assured of your salvation today understand that there's a lot of people that think oh well i fall in and out of grace really easy no 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 it doesn't work that way if you have given your life to him and you are following him, you have assurance of that salvation. Have you entered the door of salvation? I want you to think about that and contemplate that as we continue the sermon this morning. Secondly, we have the door of, of safety. The first thing we're given is salvation. Secondly, the sheep know they are safe because the shepherd is protecting them according to the last part of verse 9 the sheep will go in and out the sheep were safe inside the fold and they were secure out in the pasture because the shepherd was with them 
And that's made abundantly clear for us. You see, the shepherd knew that they, he had to protect. And the sheep knew that they would be protected. They could go in and out. If they were inside the cave at night, they knew they were protected. When they were out in the pasture, they knew they were protected. Why? Because the shepherd was always watching over them. Might be different today with cell phones. I don't know where my sheep are at. No, they, they don't get cell service out there anyways. Um, they, had to wa- they have to watch over those sheep constantly. Watching always for those that are attacking. Deuteronomy 28 verse 6 says, You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. Psalm 121 verse 8 says, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And I love Psalm 23, favorite of of the Psalms when you read it. And it's easy to remember and, and David just lays this out for us. And if we jump into verses four through five, man, it's a similar idea. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love what David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, there's a lot of things that David went through a lot in his life. There's a lot of hard times and he was on the run for some of that time of his life. Yet he never had to fear because God was with him. There's a lot of things that we struggle with in this world, right? There's a lot of hard things that, that we really fear in this world. Like right now, everybody's scared to death of the coronavirus, Right? I know, it's scary, like the numbers keep growing and oh my goodness, we're all going to die, right? I put something on Facebook starting in, I I can't remember, 1999 um, and Y2K, oh that was going to kill us all and and it leads all the way up to today. Listen, I want you to understand, the coronavirus could be dangerous, the coronavirus we need to take serious, but for all of the people that are so scared to death that oh my goodness, this is going to end the world and it's the zombie apocalypse... Slow down a little bit. It's okay. Why? That's right. Jesus is our shepherd. And he takes care of us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of the coronavirus, I will fear no evil. And here's the thing, so far, I was like, man, it's pretty cool. Like right now, Ohio, West Virginia, uh, West Virginia and Virginia hadn't been touched last night. And now we have a new case up in Fairfax. <gasps> Here it comes. Oh, no. You know what we need to do? All of us, all of us not sick people, we need to move to Montana. There's only like 35 people there anyways. You know, we just all need to move there and it'll be okay. No. We need to quit fearing people read revelation they immediately go to the book of revelation and as they read through revelation they get scared to death and oh i I have to believe that in the rapture because i don't want to be here when all of that bad stuff happens i don't know whether there's going to be a rapture or not i can't tell you what's going to happen travis are you a premillennialist a post-millennialist, an amillennialist, I'm a pan-millennialist. It's all going to pan out in the end. 
And that's truly how I feel about it. Because if I'm taken away, woohoo, I get to heaven just a few minutes earlier. If I'm not taken away and all of that bad stuff happens and we're inside of a mountain and the mountain collapses, guess where I get to go? If there's an army of, of, of scorpions and ants and cockroaches and all of these crazy things come out and they're like, oh my goodness, and they attack us and I die, guess where I get to go? I'm heading home. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, not even a wolverine. had to throw that in there i have it's been several months since i've actually mentioned that <laughs> hey they'll kill you watch out don't eat a buckeye um i i love the fact what what does what does what's jesus continue to say he says going in and out it almost reminds us of the hamburger place the in and out right in and out burger Never been there. Don't know if they're any good or not. But hey, you go in and out. It's quick. <laughs> we need to come in and go out. We need to enter in. We need to seek Jesus together. We need to enter in and come together as a group of Christians, as a follower of Jesus Christ. We all gather together. And we, we rely on one another and we help one another. And we need to make sure that we come in. But here's the great thing. Jesus says that we come in and we go out. That's all part of, of what our vision is and our mission is as Christians. We come and we seek Jesus together. But then we deploy, we lead, we go outside of these doors, right outside of these doors. That's our mission field. We come in and we go out. And that's what we've been called to do. We don't have to worry about the shackles of this life or anything that could be brought at us because we have been set free by Jesus Christ. With all that is happening in our world right now, it's good that we have the faith and the freedom to trust that our Redeemer lives. And that he will see us through anything. We can go about our daily routine. We can have confidence about our salvation. So, we have the door of salvation, the door of safety, and now we have the door of satisfaction. This is that last guarantee that's found in, in verses 9 and 10. It's a promise that we will experience satisfaction. We keep reading and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. As we break this down, you see Jesus meets the needs of those that are in his flock. Notice that the sheep go in and out and they find pasture as we learned three weeks ago the hunger of the human soul can only be satisfied by the bread of life did you know that sheep will not settle down until their needs are met they will come and they will go until their bellies are full and they have enough water to drink let's go back to psalm 23 
Psalm 23 verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd. Again, I love this. David makes it personal, right? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Why? Because he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He takes care of us every step of the way. So since the Lord is my shepherd, I will not lack anything that I need for this life. And remember, there's always a difference, and I try to get this through to my kids. There's a difference between needs and wants. Very, very hard for a teenager to understand. Because, no, Dad, I need that. No, you don't. I need to have my nails done. No, you don't. But we have that in our minds, and it comes through even in us as adults. The second thing that we see is that Satan Satan uses sinister ways to wipe people out. Look at the first part of verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The the devil's design is to steal, to kill, to destroy, and to annihilate us. And notice the progression of, of how he lays that out. Kill, destroy, slaughter, finally, absolutely annihilate. And if you don't know Christ today, you need to know that Satan is coming after you. I'm not saying that to scare you but to inform you that Satan, you're on his radar. If you don't know Christ today, today is the day that you need to enter into salvation. If you're a believer, his desire is to prevent you from living the life that he has wanted you to live this entire time. He wants to keep you from being safe or from being saved. He wants you to feel insecure and he wants to steal your satisfaction. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8-9 through 9, reminds us that Satan is always stalking us. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But then we go to James chapter 4, verse 7, and it gives us a complete strategy of how to defeat the devil. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 23 years ago, how many of you remember the group called Heaven's Gate? Yeah. (laughs) Goofy group of people that thought that they were going to enter into a spaceship, and they were going to reach the next level um, of human existence. 39 members of Heaven's Gate committed mass suicide so their souls could be taken to another level of existence it was a lie from the pit of hell from the devil himself see the devil and his minions they will do anything to steal to kill and destroy our heart our hope our joy our passion But I want you to understand, as Jesus brings all of this back together, and I love how he sandwiches all of this together, and he makes this his final point. Jesus longs for us to have an abundant life. Jesus came to give us more 
than just freedom. He wants us to experience fullness, not just in the life to come, but even now today. Unfortunately, many of us are just limping through life and as we stumble along in our survival mode. It reminds me of the story of a hamster and his owner. Each morning, Sam would jump on the wheel, stopping only to grab a bite to eat. He was driven by some ingrained belief that his effort was getting him somewhere. Trudge, trudge, trudge. Run, run, run. Nibble, nibble, nibble. He eats a few occasional treats to break the monotony. That's Sam's life. And life for Sam's hamster is almost as monotonous. For some of us, life is just a drag. Because we've never chosen to live. If the truth were known, some of us are just putting in our time. But Christ wants us to have a life today and to have it abundantly and to share that message with everyone that we come in contact with. We've been talking the last several weeks and you're going to hear me say it almost every week. What's your one more? Who is your one more? What one person can you reach out to this week to invite them to come and see, to be a part as we worship, as we seek the Lord together? You see, Jesus not only came to save and to give you safety, he came to give you and to satisfy you. Verse 10 says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The word abundantly means beyond what is necessary, exceeding. Or excessively superior friends, are you living that kind of life right now? Psalm 23 verse 5 says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup, it overflows. It completely overflows. I love to mess with my kids. I love to mess with my wife. Um, they'll say, hey, can you fill up my coffee cup or my water cup? Can, can you give me some more to eat? And so, you know, if, if, if it's the Cheez-Its, um, you know, they'll say, can, can I have a couple? I give them like one or two. They're like, no, give me more than that. And they've got their hands out and I just pour them all out. It's fun. Don't do it with coffee, that burns. Um, that's exactly the point that Jesus is trying to make here to have that abundant life it's what david was saying when he says my cup it overflows we don't just have to worry about having a cup and having it full jesus is going to give and to give and to give he wants us to have an abundant life if we're just willing to live it out the principle of abundance is clearly outlined throughout Scripture. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceed, exceedingly or abundantly more than all that we ask or think. Romans 5, 20 says, Where sin increased, grace abound all the more. I love that Scripture. Sin, it increases. Sin is around us, but the grace of God abounds even more than that. Eternal life is forever, but it doesn't start when you die. It starts the moment that you're saved. Genesis 14 verse 16 tells us that Abraham recovered all the goods and brought back his relative lot and his possessions. 
It's time to recover our stolen property. It's time to take back our love. It's time to take back our joy. It's time to take back our purpose. Jesus wants us saved, safe, and satisfied. So what are our action steps? I think there's a couple of things that um, we need to do. And honestly, we're broken down into two groups here this morning. Those who have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and those who haven't. So I want to start with action steps for those who are unsaved, those who do not know the love of Jesus in their life. The first thing that you need to do is to admit that sin is approaching. Sin is crouching at your door. Secondly, it's time to enter in to the narrow gate. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. If that is the decision that you need to make today to enter into the narrow gate, you're going to have a chance here in just a few moments. But for those of you who are saved, those who know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, can I ask you to do something for me? Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Stop attacking your brothers and sisters in Christ. James chapter 5 verse 9 says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. There's enough stuff out there that is attacking us and tearing us apart outside of those doors. Let's make sure that it's not inside of these doors. Too often it happens. We see a brother or sister who has gotten trapped and embroiled in some type of sin and instead of reaching down and helping them up, we gossip about them stomp them just a little bit more while they're down but what we've been called to do as Christians is to build one another up to love one another to see the good in one another to allow that grace to abound to live abundantly and number two if you're saved live on mission Live on mission and go through the door. God will open doors and we must go through them. Knowing that it's going to be difficult. It is exactly why Paul says what he says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 verse 9. He says, for, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. The door is wide and, and, and I can see the work of the Lord. And here's the thing. Just outside of these double doors is another set of double doors. And guess what? That's where your mission field is. And the moment that you open it up, whoosh, wide is the door. And it's time to start doing your work. One more. Who's your one more that you can bring in?
while these metaphors may be mixed up in our passage the message is clear it's time to go through the door it's time to meet the door I'm going to be back at the door and if someone needs to accept Jesus for the very first time you need to make that decision we're going to be in the back and I would love to, to, to talk with you to help you to find the way through that door maybe you just need prayer in your life you've already given your life to Christ and you need to know how to live on that mission you need to know how to deal with something that's in your life sin and that you're like you need to pray with someone you need to talk with someone I'm going to be in the back the elders are going to be in the back as well we'd love to pray with you to talk with you to help you know more about the church how that you can be set free Whatever decision you have to make, will you make it as we continue our worship? Please.